Happy Faz Radio Friday. <laughs> Mr. Glitch from Glitch Through Gaming is co-hosting with us tonight. And he said he's going to bring the uh, bring the boom. We uh, we have boom. no Faz tonight. Well, what I actually said was that um, if you want Faz energy, it's probably not going to happen. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, so with with the show, we, we had a new rule. And that rule was that uh, in order to host the show, uh, you you had to have an IQ over a hundred, and so Faz is like, I can't make it then. <laughs> That's the the real reason behind it all. Um, well, so if this is a hundred, mine's probably around the same as a monkey then. <laughs> <laughs> I did, you know, I I did take I I never took an IQ test directly, but I when I when I got one of my jobs, there's this test they use over here. They use it in the NFL, the National Football League, a lot. It's called the Wonderlick. And it's this time test. You have a certain amount of time to answer as many questions as you can on this sheet. And it correlates like, I guess it's like scary accurate. So that's why it's used a lot. And according to that, uh, when you go to the interwebs and you say, here's my Wonderlick score, I apparently have an IQ of like 134. Uh, I didn't believe that either because I'm, I'm an idiot. Um, so I figure if, if that's the case for me, some of the people I interact with in daily life are probably in the sixties. Well, I think you're, I think you're underestimating the average of a hundred, I think. No. So yeah, that was weird. And to me that, see, that's the thing. I'm not so sure those IQ tests are worth anything i mean you you either know your stuff or you don't and you can be a complete moron but if you love something and you're passionate about it you can become an expert on it and and you look like you have an iq of like 500 right Mm -hmm. so i i I think people just need to be themselves and do what you love and you'll be an expert at it pretty easily yeah well that's the hard part is finding something that you actually want to put your time into and when you find it, you got to run with it, man. Um, I had no idea that crypto would draw me in so strong. And uh, I'm really thankful for everybody that I interact with here, uh, yourself included, because you learn something from everybody. You build some fantastic relationships with people. And this space is, even though there's a lot of rug pullers and everything else, this space is full of a lot of people that are just genuinely awesome human beings. And I, I don't think I, I want to be anywhere else. This is this is home for me here. I love it. Yeah, I agree, man. It's been good. <laughs> so um, tonight we wanted to talk about uh, some things that, that people talk about but don't really go in very deep on. And and the first thing that I kind of wanted to get into is finding out what your thoughts are, and, and of course I'll share mine, about these projects, these gaming companies, the platforms, the crypto people of whatever venue that you're in, even the NFT creators. When something goes wrong or a feature can't be added or uh, things get hacked, almost immediately one of the first things that said is, oh, it's because we're so early. We're so early. That's, that's <laughs> why. And 
You know, the more I think about it, I wonder, I'm like, is that just some kind of bullshit excuse or is that like really it? What, what, what do you think? Well, it's hard to say, man, because there's so many different, like, crypto sort of compartmentalized now. Like, back in the day, it was essentially just tokenomics and stuff like that itself, and now it's it's gaming and everything. And, um, you know, as far as quality of games and stuff, well, that's been around for a long time. So as far as quality of a game, I don't think that's a good excuse. But the implementation of the actual tokenomics itself into the game, like, I don't know if that, you know, adds a really big layer of complication to it. So maybe you could use that excuse there, but because I'm not a, a game dev, well, then I wouldn't know. And I'm also not a, like a token, a tokenomics, you know, expert either. <laughs> so I, I, I think, so I talked about this a little last night, right? So blockchain is not new. Um, blockchain has been around since, before even Bitcoin started. They just made it better. They made it immutable. They made it uh, harder, so to speak, with security and so forth. And the invention of new chains and new types of change, uh, chains with, I mean, some of these are proof of work. Some of these are proof of stake. Some are newer than others. You have Z-Snarks and all kinds of wonderful stuff. And then you have Hyperledger like Gala uses, which is, from what I've gathered, I haven't dove like super deep into it, but it's fairly new, I think. Um, just because it's new, is is that is that a reason to? I mean, should they be deploying it like a contract on it if it's so new and and there's these risks? Why would they deploy it on their live then? Well, that's the thing. Like it's um, they say that it's new, but. You know, a lot of people in the community have said that uh, bridges and stuff like that have a lot of vulnerabilities. Now, I don't have the technicals to be able to be able to use those vulnerabilities myself. But if that's a known thing and then, it, you know, one of these gaming companies comes out and starts using bridges, well, that's a well-known thing in the space that there's vulnerability. So you can't use that excuse for it being new. It's rather just ignorance or they just really don't care. So... With with like these um, these companies who who use the bridges, right? Because there's there's a couple of them, and and I've had some good experiences like um, Avalanche, the bridge to Avalanche. That was my first go. I was nervous, but it wasn't as bad. I've had like white knuckle moments going from ETH to Weath <laughs> on Polygon, and I just talked about it on a show a couple weeks ago. I, I darn near. Uh, thought I lost almost a half an ETH because there's an extra step at the end that nobody tells you you're supposed to do. Um, so if 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 they choose to use that, is this it, can they use that excuse? We're so early. Shouldn't they know that? Yeah, well, it seems like something they should know. And I just noticed that CryptoView dropped in the chat as well, and he said XRP to the moon. <laughs> that guy, man. So I. He came on the show one night and and handed Faz and I our asses talking about uh, XRP because he is the expert. Um, I've got some. I don't have a ton of it, but I've got some. It was one of the first that I bought back when it was listed on Coinbase in the in the old days. Um, but uh, welcome back, Mister Crypto View. Um, 
with with these we're so early things, there's a difference between maybe experimenting and then using live tokens on it, right? So companies like uh, Gala or um, even ETH, you know, switching over to this proof of stake, uh, which is an entirely different model. Um, the, the early can be explained there, I think, if something goes wrong. But if, if you're using just the ETH rails and you put out a smart contract on it, is it really fair to then say, oh, whoops, sorry, we lost all your tokens. We're so early. Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't, like, once again, man, like, you're probably a lot more technical than what I am, and I'm sure Faz would have at least a million different things to say about it. But, <laughs> um, but the fact is, like, I don't know why they can't, doing isolated tests on these different things and see what the vulnerabilities are. But like in relation to Gala Games itself, like I don't know who they have working behind the scenes and what sort of credentials that they have. Like from from my from my point of view, if you're going to come out and you're Gala Games and you want people to access the ecosystem and for it to be a positive experience, like there can't be any of these excuses of early to like we're early to market or anything else. Like these things need to be tested as best as they can before it's released to the public. Because it's like anything, man. Like I'm, I'm assuming you've dabbled in business and stuff before. Like reputation's everything, and as soon as you tarnish it, that's it. And in crypto, with the crypto degenerates, as they like to call themselves, they do act like degenerates when projects go south. And they will jump on every little vulnerability that's there and then crush projects. It, it is something that is obviously a huge concern. And all of us are trying to navigate and get the, the most out of this that we can. I, I do think we need to start pushing back a little bit when that, when that phrase is used. And find out the why behind the why on it, okay? So you're saying, okay, there was this vulnerability or that vulnerability, and we're so early. Okay, what went wrong? Why? And we need to we we need to push these these people who are trying to crack a frontier, right? Everybody wants to be first. That's it's a race to be first, and. I think they're they're sacrificing a lot of the security and the stability for being the first ones to do something. And that's where I'm I'm sensing a lot of this where early is coming from. Yeah, you're early because you rushed. Let's not rush it. You don't have to be first to be successful. You just have to be successful. And I I do I want to spend some time there there's um for example, uh, EVIO that's out there, right? And they kind of came out of nowhere. We, a bunch of us stumbled on it from listening to other people. And I heard about it like third hand from Forged in Crypto. So I went over there and it was like seamless. They took their time. They weren't first to market by any means, but they took their time. They built a decent game. And they built it with the blockchain in the background. You don't even know you're playing a blockchain game. And you got consistent rewards. It was just, boom, you, you played your game, you, you killed stuff, and you, you got your tokens and everybody's happy. A lot of 
what I'm seeing, even with Decentraland, they started introducing more tokens. They started introducing different types of gameplay. Crypto Kitties, one of the first, I think they were even the first project um, to use the NFT model. They went and drifted off of their their beaten path, and the this is so new bug bought them, and and they kind of went downhill from there. So how do you how do you innovate while also not being reckless? Maybe. Well. I'm like I hope this isn't off topic too much, but like if you look at Cardano and Charles Hoskinson, like everything to do with Cardano is a long process, and it's essentially everything's peer reviewed. And I can't remember what the other word's called in America, but they essentially send papers to universities, and then they look over it all and then approve of you know if the code's right or if that idea is going to work. And um, you know, like the the problem with first to market is a lot of the time you're the first to get wrecked. So if you want to, if you want to put all these means or beans or dollars from the community into testing out new things, that's fine. But at the end of the day, like there's not many bigger projects than Cardano. You know, Cardano is up there with Ethereum, XRP, and all the other top ten cryptocurrencies, and everything's been a long progress, a long process. But Charles Hoskinson's one of the most respected people in the space. So I don't know if it's a good thing just being first and then using the the caveat of, oh, well, we're early to market and we're testing new things because at the end of the day, you're playing with people's money. Totally agree. Um, we had been talking a little bit earlier, and one of the ideas that I've been professing is to test out tokenomics using like gems, right? So you you buy a bag of a million gems for $100 and you go play the game and you test the game and you do all the things with the game and use them as though they were the tokens, the actual tokens for the game. And that way, if things go sideways, if the economics don't work or they want to change the economics of the game, the players are only in it for $100. And if they need to buy more, it's only another $100. And once they've perfected the ability to get the economy where they want it, then introduce the tokens into the system. And they could even do a solid to the community by, um, you know, hey, you you still have 500,000 gems left. We're going to give you, you know, 5,000 tokens as a, as a gesture of, of testing this and helping us get where we go. But that way, Glitch, you are a thousand percent right. You're not risking people's money. You're not putting onto the player base the the extreme risk with testing out new ideas. And I think the communities would be extraordinarily happy um, to have something like that so that they're being tested on with, you know, the fake fake tokens and not like real money that, that they've scrimped up and saved and, and bought into. Yeah, well, the thing is, like, I'm just reading the chat as well, which has thrown me off a little bit from my points, but I'll just read the one that CryptoView said, Cardano has nothing, XRP has something. And he also said previously, I don't know why Gala did not stay on the flare and do an L2 on it. So I don't have the answer for that. That's probably a good one for Bitbender. <laughs> well, um, I, I, would, I think he's actually answered. Uh, they wanted to, they wouldn't be able to do all the things they wanted to do 
with an L2 or even flare. That's that's reason one. Reason two is because really the way that it was explained is that um, Gala Chain or Jerry or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think they even leaked Ario was in the was in the paperwork there for a while. That's going to be the backbone. And and you'll have your your backbone, and then there's going to be shoots like a tree, like tree branches coming off of it that they'll lease to other uh, projects who want to use that, whether it's gaming or healthcare or whatever else, so that people can run their own projects off of that. And they wanted to have the ability to branch out that way as well. That's what I understand, at least. Yeah, well, going back to what you we were talking about before. That one of the points I was going to make is, you know, with the early to market stuff, like the way that Cardano does do the peer reviewed research and whatnot, I think it's a good, um, I think it's a good thing to be able to say to the community if things do go pear shaped, since there is always risk in crypto, is what else would you like me to do? Like we've done as much as our due diligence as we could and it still failed. Here's what we've done. And then actually show the community what's actually going on behind the scenes. That that transparency, there's there's a fine line, and this this kind of dives into the the whole talk about decentralized versus centralized, right? Because if you have a company, if you have a, a, a project that has a CEO or a leader or anything of the likes, you you're on the centralized side, and you're your company, you don't want your company secrets coming out. So there's going to be a lot less transparency there. Whereas if you have uh, something without a CEO, just a bunch of devs that are building something together, um, that's a lot different. You, you can kind of say whatever you want to say with transparency because there's no profit lines that, that are there. And there's no accountability to employees or shareholders there. So I think a lot of the transparency issues that fold into this as well um, really stem from how centralized the entity is. Yeah. I also feel like the mentality of crypto as well, like the community, is actually a detriment to itself because, you know, you got the you got the memes of when moon, you know, and when, when, when. And it's like you know, instead of giving these projects time to produce something that's actually has value, they just want a profit. They want when, when moon, when near, when Lambo. You know what I mean? So, so I think that- here's here's my when. See that blue dot? <laughs> that's my when. Um, it is a holo chain node, and I've been sitting. I bought that. Um, I bought it from Faz, actually. He had a couple of them. And uh, it's been going on almost three years now that I've been there. The project's been alive for five years. And uh, they're starting, they're making really slow progress. It's a very small dev team. And they've finally, last year, they started to make some really big chunks of progress. A lot of these, these projects out there you do have to wait an extraordinarily long time and you have to determine whether it's worth it to wait. And it can't be just out of frustration. You have to be passionate about what it is that you're doing. There's a lot of people in the gala ecosystem who uh, 
you can jump on any Discord and they'll say, no, I, I don't care what they do with the nodes. I don't care they went off track uh, of what the original plan was. I am committed to this project. Let them do whatever they're going to do. They're going to trip. They're going to fall on their face, knock their teeth out. Doesn't matter. They'll get up, dust themselves off and keep going, which is fantastic, right? You're your own person. Everybody gets to make their own decisions. Um, there, there's, there's a lot in this space that can say they're early and a lot that can't. Holochain, I can't defend them with an excuse of we're still early. Yes, they're building brand new technology. It's not even blockchain that they're, that they're building. They're building something outside of blockchain. So, yeah, they could probably use the excuse, but I would never buy it from them. Clicking. One thing oh, that no. <laughs> you fixed your problem. Uh, uh, no, so I, I I was in a closet. Um, this closet right here is where I had my monitor up on the wall, and I think my mic was too close to my monitor, and it was causing some electrical <laughs> interference. <laughs> I didn't I have hear to it, agree, so I didn't though. know. I watched a previous podcast and um, I was hearing Faz get agitated with the sound and I can tell you right now, I don't know if it's like an OCD thing or something, but once I pick up a pattern, even if it's a clock, I can't think of anything other than that sound, <laughs> like the repeating of it. So like it, used, it was bothering me for a bit there too and I'm glad that it's gone. Yeah, I, I did. I rearranged uh, the room for the 45th time last week and, and everything is good now, I think. So going back to what we were talking about before in regards to using, you know, the excuse of, oh, we're early so we can get away with everything. Like, if you look at, this is the thing that's a pet peeve to me with, like, gaming and NFTs. Now, if you look at a game like Fortnite, your whole marketplace and everything is in the game itself. So at the moment, like, with Gala Games, just for example, because I'm essentially a Gala Maxi, is that you have to go out of the game and use the actual app itself to be able to purchase your NFTs, to buy the upgrades for tanks and all the rest of it. So that seems to be the trend, and I'm hoping they change it. But if you go under Fortnite, all your skins, everything that you can buy is all onboarded into the game. And they say, oh, well, it's early, you know, that's hard to, you know, to implement in the game. But yet if you look at Splinterlands, well, they've got the same thing. You, the same thing. You can essentially buy everything you want with the marketplace on the website, you can also rent all your tanks from the website and then you can play the game from the website. Like all you have to do is click a different like drop down tab or an icon or whatever it is. Like it, like it's so much easier and I don't see why there's should be any reason other than to not have it that way. You know, I, I have to use what you, what you said a little bit earlier. I don't know how the, the backbone of these these companies were built. If they were built that way, there could also be um, things behind the scenes with compliance. Here in the U.S., if you if you operate a marketplace, you may have to have a money transmitter's license, which opens up all kinds of Pandora's box. So that could be an issue. Um, there could be a million issues. Yeah. That, that's why I'm trying not to be so hard on all of these projects. I've really taken a step back, um, especially after some conversations with some people way smarter than me who kind of educated me a little bit on, okay, that seems like it would be really simple, but you have no idea how incredibly hard that is, especially when they've built 
on one set of rails and now they have to add something in that used to be on a different rail, but now they have to modify it because they went down this track with how they built the game. So I'm, I'm trying really hard to be patient with that stuff. I, I do think it will hold them back uh, when they when they don't include all of that stuff right out of the box like that. Um, I, I hammered on Gala pretty hard at the end of last year about that. And um, out of the out-of-the-box experience is what people are going to remember. There was uh, just a comment made by a moderator on the Gala server last week, I want to say it was, that I picked up on with uh, May Mayhem going on. Uh, a friendly reminder was posted that uh, there's a lot of new people experiencing Gala for the first time during Mayhem and stop mm -hmm. yelling at the people in spider Tanks <laughs> because they suck, right? Um, so all you're doing is hurting yourself because, you know, you have these people who are spider Tanks experts who are trying to earn their VP and they have a lot of the noobs coming in who are experiencing it for the first time. They don't know what they're doing. And they're screwing up the VP for the other people. So it, it there could be issues with that stuff as well. But um, having it all together, I, I think what the MOF is building is tremendous. It's, they're really integrating things into an all-in-one kind of platform, which is where I hope a lot of these other companies are going to go for that very reason. Well, the, the cool thing with the MAF, man, is like they're building stuff that you know, could probably be imp implemented in the game itself as well. And you're not talking about, like, I don't know what the bankroll is for the math and who's the one that's, like, completely behind it if it's just Timbo, but the amount of stuff that they've been able to achieve as a team is, like, ridiculously good. Like, everything they've put out so far is really high quality as well. Like, there's no lagging when you're using their stuff. Like, every, everything works as intended. What you're talking about before as far as you know you don't have the the technicals either to be able to to know why it's so hard to pretty much onboard everything in the game i'd like faz to actually answer this if he knows like i, I would assume that it would be essentially harder to be able to allocate tanks with your drop pods to specific users than what it would what it would be to actually put the the components to upgrade tanks in the game itself as well you know but there there you go i don't have the technical so i'm pretty much just talking with no right to even talk about it <laughs> right and and we do we do a lot of that fez accuses me of being a complainer i say i'm not complaining i'm just trying to point things out um and and maybe raise some awareness around stuff um and so that's like a, a perfect dovetail um, into the second part of, of this. Hey, and Zoro, we're happy to see you here too. Welcome. Zoro's a good bloke. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He is. He's fantastic. Uh, Mr. Positive. And no matter, no matter how bad things get, the guy always has something nice to say. And you can't pick on the guy. I'm, I'm used to picking on people. So you, poor Zoro can't get picked on like everybody else. Yeah, well, he'd, he'd just say something nice anyway if he did try picking on him. So <laughs> right. I'm not sure I've actually come across NFT talk, so that's a new that's a new one for me. Uh, NFT talk's been around um, lately a lot more. Um, very very good points are made from the NFT talk 
comment machine. Um, so so with the with the gaming and and how things turn around, I'm here for the technology. Um, <laughs> the experience on the platform is is what people are going to remember, right? So there's sayings about that even in life, right? That you'll never remember a specific incident when you're with somebody, but you'll always remember how they made you feel. And that translates directly, I think, into this this gaming universe. If you go to a platform and it looks like ass and you, your stuff doesn't work and they have a bad experience or they have to jump through 500 hoops just to, to find the play button and play the game, they're not going to want to come back. And they're going to take their time, their energy, and their money, and they're going to go someplace else. And the level of complication has to be met with the right kind of audience for mass adoption. You can't, you do have to kind of have a, a lowest common denominator approach to that unless you're, you're specifically targeting, you know, veteran gamers. And then there should be still something for maybe people like me who aren't very experienced with gaming to play and enjoy, um, at the same time, what are your thoughts about these Steam-like platforms that keep popping up like uh, Rainmaker Games and Gala and uh, some of these others uh, that that are having this approach? Do you think they're bringing the right target of games onto the platform? Well, this is what I've spoken about on my own podcast as well, and I'm not trying to shell it. But No, no, I'm please a- do. Yeah, I notice that I pretty much um, <laughs> repeat myself a lot when I'm talking. Like, there's, it's like if you're in traditional gaming market and you look at FPS games, and I've said this on the podcast before, but you know, an FPS game in traditional markets, unless if it's something similar to Fortnite where it's like a battle royale, it only has a 12 month life cycle. Like, if you look at the biggest franchises like uh, Battlefield, Call of Duty, or the rest of it, like they literally come out of a new one every year. So, like, for what I want to see with these sort of games, like, I think they hit the nail on the head with the town builder, with Townstar. I think they definitely need to keep working on that, though, because I've played the last update and I wasn't too impressed. Um, Miranda, so, like, there really hasn't been a good MMO RPG for, like, since, well, World of Warcraft's probably still the best one. And the cool thing about that is that they can actually use, oh, we're early to market in that scenario, and make a game that doesn't have as good graphics as what's actually available, like Skyrim or something like that, because people don't give a shit in MMOs about the graphics. It's all about the gameplay, and it's all about Mm -hmm. the different features in-game. But I think a lot of these companies, like I remember earlier back on when we could vote against specific games for Gala, the faster game. Like I played that game where I didn't like it at all. And I was thinking to myself, like, this is really just like a, a CSGO ripoff. It was what they seemed to try to be. And, you know, they come out with, like, a new game every so often on major updates. So, like, I, I think there's certain markets they should be trying to compete in and then certain markets they should just stay away from. So the other topic, this kind of is, is a perfect fit here, is let's talk a little about what is really different between those. You mentioned traditional platforms and, and the CS goes and things like that. 
usually people will default to, oh, but NFT ownership, which is a whole separate discussion. But what else separates? What is the, the big deal about a Web3 game versus a traditional game? Is there anything besides NFTs? Well, I think that like the reason I got into NFT gaming myself is because it seemed like the most obvious thing to do is to actually own your in-game assets because that like it adds an extra layer of like to the player, especially for like usability. As far as like how cool would it be if you could play World of Warcraft and own like one of the towers or something like that? And that's essentially what Mirandus is doing. But at the same time, like the the price point has to be um reasonable for average gamers. So with what you're saying, like what are they adding and all the rest of it, and is it worth it? I think it is, but I think for majority of people that play games, I don't think they have the funds to be able to actually buy into this market. Do you think do you think that I've heard debates on both sides. Do you think NFT uh ownership is something that uh, the NFT companies are are saying all oh, players definitely want this, but we're not seeing that adoption yet, and we're getting a lot of resistance on that side. So, do you think that that's maybe true or not true? Well, if you look at traditional gamers, man, like most of us, like I'm a traditional gamer, like we, it took us a long time to get used to microtransactions at all. Like I still, I sort of still hate them, especially if they give you some sort of a, an ability to be better than someone else which is what I don't actually like about spider tanks. Like if you want to be, if you want to come out of an arena type game and do esports, like like everyone's got to be the same level because it's a competitive game. And how can you be competitive if the next person has, you know, five extra range than what you do and an extra 10 damage. So like, it's one of it those things when I just, start, I just start spiraling into like, how do you actually, make it so people want to come over to this ecosystem. And I think at the moment it's a lot of these companies are just too greedy. I think do you that's think, what, it, <laughs> what do you think will force, force the hand on them to bring prices down? I think people just not playing the games. And we've seen that already with multiple different NFT games. Like I think Splinterlands, man, like they really hit the nail on the head. Like you, you pay $4 USD, I think it is for a card pack. In that card pack, you might have gold foil cards. You might have like um, like something that's legendary or whatever. Like you don't know. It's just a roll of the dice. Like I don't know if it's like properly, like I don't know how to say it, but I don't know if it's fixed in the back end for certain accounts or right, anything like right. that. So who would know? But, you know, that usability, like if you spend four bucks and you get a card that's worth $30 and it's a legendary, like that's a good feeling. You know oh, what I mean? Absolutely. But if you yeah. open a card pack and it's four bucks and you get five cards and you get, you know, 10 cents, well, you know what you're up for, you know? <laughs> right. And it's $4, not not $400, right? Yeah. But I like the fact that it's not all controlled. It's not like, oh, this is, it's a thousand dollars. This is what it is. This is the intent of what it could be. And this is what I hope it does. But, you know, it could change. I'd love to get your take on this. I, I asked Faz this last night and we were, I didn't preempt him with the questions, just like I'm not preempting you. Uh, and <laughs> and he, he's like, oh, I'll have to think about that a little bit. But why can't 
the blockchain gaming operate the same way as traditional gaming, meaning you pay for a battle pass. You you buy buy the game for $100 and you get a battle pass and you go in and then there's NFTs for $2 that you go in. What what do you think is holding back these blockchain companies from uh, using blockchain and using NFTs but approaching it from a traditional game standpoint? Well, I think this is where they need to have their own blockchain because like if you're using Ethereum and they had to transfer every time you leveled up and opened something in a chest, say, well, then they're going to be paying a gas fee to send it to you. So like it's rather the, the battle pass is going to have to be an exorbitant amount of money to be able to cover those gas fees and they hope that they send something to you when it's low or they're going to have to come out of their own stuff. And I'm guessing that's probably why uh, companies like Gala are coming out of their own their own layered blockchains. <clears throat> so uh, Zorro made a comment and used the phrase we talked about before you got here, Zorro. We had a whole discussion on early technology, and, and this is what I mean. Every This pops up like constantly. And with everybody experimenting in this space, all these gaming companies, um, I haven't seen one yet that has tried to use the old traditional model um, coming into the blockchain side. I mean, I would imagine even like some of these projects use uh, a layer two, like Polygon, or there's some that uh, are on Avalanche and some on Solana. Um, that mitigates the cost. Is is it just maybe the profit margins? Is is that is that maybe where it goes? Uh, that's one of those things, man. I really just don't know the answer to it because you know, like as a user, you sort and a game, you sort of sit back and like, oh, I don't know, do this. But I'll say something positive in regards to crypto gaming and NFTs. Like if you have a Fortnite account and say you got diagnosed with terminal cancer and you wanted to give all your in-game assets to your son, but your son uses a different IP address and it gets flagged by the by the company, there's a good chance that that account could be frozen. And then all those all that money that you've spent on skins for Fortnite, which could be anywhere from, you know, hundreds of dollars up to thousands, could just literally be lost. So NFTs and, you know, crypto gaming and all the rest of it actually fixes that if you have the time to be able to transfer it out of the wallet or at least give the seed phrase to to your son. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's a really good point. Um, I haven't heard that talked about a lot. And um, is it is it the allure of the money, do you think, that, that gets people to want to spend exorbitant amounts on NFTs? I'd say so, man. Like, I don't think Bored Ape's done many people in the community much of a favor because, you know, <laughs> you can essentially pay a million dollars for a PFP of a of an ape. So, like, what what are these things really worth? Like, we're not going to know until we do get onboarding. Because if you can pay a million dollars for a Bored Ape, well, then what's a outpost on Miranda's worth that actually has utility and creates income? With with traditional gaming having a couple of those drawbacks that that blockchain gaming addresses and working towards a solution on such as transferring the NFTs, you know, to to be able to rent them, to be able to 
do things that you can't normally do in uh, traditional gaming, even though there's a couple of, of like swap places that they have that are supported. What else about blockchain gaming sets them apart from traditional gaming? Can you think of anything? I was racking my brain trying to think, and, and there's not really very much there. Well, what do you mean by set them apart? Do you mean like the actual implementation of the tokens and stuff? Because Well, you would think, you would think, right, that there would be very little difference between the two platforms other than, let's say, NFTs, right? So why wouldn't traditional gamers, why would there be so much resistance on making that bridge over if, if it's supposedly a, a, a much different experience? But nobody seems to articulate, other than the NFTs, what the difference is. I mean, well, run on a server versus run on a blockchain. I don't you think have... it's really anything to do with that, man. I think it's more to do with, like, it, what's the demographic for people that play games? Like, it's going to be a hard argument. Say say you're a 16-year-old kid and you don't have a job or 14 or 12 or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and you're looking at Mirandus and you think, wow, this is really cool. Like, I, like, what do I do to get this NFT? Now, I've got to explain what this shit is to my parents <laughs> and all over mainstream news and all the rest of it. It's all crypto's a scam and all the rest, like, and NFTs are scams. So the mentality of people that are like in our generation, like mine and yours, like it's not a big percentage of users that are actually using crypto or it's people that have come in, they've gotten burnt or they got someone reach out to them on Twitter and they've told them, oh, you know, click this link and you get this for free and then they've lost everything in their wallet. So like the demographic of kids that are playing games, like how do you get them into NFTs and is it even legal? I don't know. But I'm guessing that that's a lot of the reason why. I think that Gala's fixing that in a way as far as like with, for an example, spider tanks, the rentability of your tank, because at the end of the day, then all you got to do is have a wallet and then anyone can sort of play the game and earn the NFT. But actually being able to sell the token, it's, a, it's not the token, but the NFT, it's a whale market. And how many people have, you know, what's the average savings for someone in America, do you know? At the oh age God. of 30. Mo- well, by the age of 30, most are in debt. There's there's not a lot of savings there. There's gaming budgets. People have gaming budgets, but I'm not an expert on what those budgets might look like. I know um, there's a, a girl that I work with. I've mentioned her before, and she is like a a total fangirl of the Pokemon stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And she will she got she was already done with the new pokemon but by the time it was released she's like the early access person who gets in and gets all the cool stuff has no problem would would have zero problem dropping 100 bucks in there wouldn't think twice about it but if you said hey you know there's this this nft for $100 i i think i think you're onto something there with the education part of it i i think a lot of it is the fear-mongering they do around crypto too. Well, it's like you've really got to – like it's such a, a big problem to solve because like how, it's like how, what's the average savings of someone that mostly plays games? And then it's also how often is it on the news and how much news do people watch in relation to cryptocurrency? And then how many people have come to market, got burnt, and then left and they're like, there's no way I'm ever like doing anything to do with crypto or NFTs ever again, which I'm assuming would be a lot. But, like, I think the best way that they can do it is make it a seamless experience. 
and have the buy-in as low as possible. That's why I really like Splinterlands because, like I said, you can buy a pack of five cards and you don't know what you're going to get. It could be something awesome. It could be something trash. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know that it's only $4 that's on the line. So yeah, I, That drives me nuts, right? Because you have, from what I'm reading, you have the mainstream media out there talking about Pepe, right? You have the mainstream out there talking about Doge. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it is is all, oh, my God, look who got wrecked today. Oh, this isn't real money. Oh, this is, you know, and and I think you might be right. And when when your your child comes up to you and says, you know, hey, I want to I want to play this crypto game. You know, it's an immediate no. Mm-hmm. Um, and kids don't understand. I, I don't think the the token part of it yet either. They equate that with gems, right? So my daughter is a hopeless addict um, with the Minecraft and everything else, right? So she plays all these games and she'll get like the $100 gift card for uh, Christmas or her birthday. And it takes her all of like nine minutes to go and blow that uh, in the game. It, it is real money, but it's not real money. And they've kind of got the the children desensitized towards what tokens actually are um and i think that's a big problem what about the argument faz made this argument and he actually got me to to stop and think and i had smoke coming out of my ears by the end um the the market right now at least with what's out is kind of geared towards your 30 to 45 year old target market that has mm-hmm. a couple bucks put away is that the right kind of marketing for for a demographic do you think do you think these older well, generations are gonna have enough time got, energy and money to play them you've got young kids yourself right now yeah, if, yeah. You, if you say something how uncool is it <laughs> you're talking about <laughs> 40 like i'm in my mid-30s and i say stuff to my eight-year-old and he just goes yeah whatever dad that sounds lame you know what right. I mean? Like if you want to target an audience in gaming, you want it to trend. So how are you going to get it to trend? You've got to hit a young audience. So if they want to get this stuff right, they've got to make everything so it's a seamless experience. And all they say is, I can buy this NFT for $10 and they don't even know it's one. And then they can sell it if it's limited in supply like most NFTs are to have value and be able to sell it on the marketplace that's built into the game and it's, they've made $10 on it, then they can go out and buy two skin NFTs. And then they can actually build up a portfolio of different NFTs and not even actually know what they are. Like there's no, like when everyone sort of like has this weird circle jerk in crypto where they like to all t- like stand around and talk about how great it is, oh, that's on the blockchain. The general people don't care about this. They don't care that it's on blockchain. Okay, you bunch of nerds. Like what else do you want me to do? It's on blockchain. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because that's like I'm, I I'm not like that's that's not a mainstream thing. Like even if you look at YouTube kids, because my son's constantly watching it, there's not any kids at all talking about NFTs or blockchain games or like they haven't even stumbled across one and been like, oh, this is really cool, and not actually knowing what it is. Do you get what I mean? So well, yeah. And and if the kids do it right, then then mom and dad are going to come take over the account when they realize there's forty thousand dollars of NFTs locked away in this kid's game, right? Yeah, and we're an older <laughs> demographic compared to the trendy young kids. 
So if if we've seen something on YouTube and they're like, oh, look at this blockchain game, there's there's a million people between the age of 16 to 25 that are playing it. What are people like us going to do? We're going to come in and then buy the expensive NFTs. So you've really got to have, like, there shouldn't be such of a big buying gap of paying like 100 USD to 200 USD, especially if what you said, like, uh, if you're 30 years old, it's essentially a debt society. No one has savings. So, like, that's when we're going to come in and go, all right, we see the opportunity. We're a bit older. We're a bit smarter. Well, at least we think we are. And we're going to put... We're going to put our excess funds into this and hope that it takes off and turns into 6 million users. Right. So yeah. realistically, that's all it needs to be is something that's seamless, something that you don't even know that it's blockchain unless if you actually looked at the website and then scrolled all the way down to the bottom and it says something like technology used and then you click that. So you've really got to find it because there's no reason why anyone even needs to know. Just make a good experience for the, for the consumer. We've we've had that talk many many times, and I I I think I think again the the trying to be out front and trying to be first, unfortunately, is is a big big reason why they haven't paused to do the proper marketing because that's that's a beautiful way of looking at it with starting with the kids and and educating the parents through the kids because yeah I mean. These kids will, my kids will play these games, you know, and it's so damn complicated. I, you know, I'm the typical old man. I'm like, you know, I can't, I'm used to two buttons and maybe a joystick. And, you know, they have like five joysticks, triggers, this, that, and the other. And they'll say hit, hit left button two. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. (laughs) So, um, as they they just love like in these shooters because I'm terrible at shooters to begin with, but there's so many damn buttons. I don't know what duck is and they just swarm me and kill me in like 10 seconds. Um, but why do you think they haven't pushed on on that marketing if if it's not, you know, hey, we're just trying to rush this out? What, what could be some other reasons maybe? Well, I think this new to market stuff, like a lot of the pretty much all these gaming companies that are coming out, coming out in the bull market where everyone had a lot of liquidity and, you know, they bought their Ethereum for a couple hundred bucks and then it went up to, what was it, like two and a half, three and a half thousand dollars or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So they had an extra bit of play money. But, you know, like as parents, we're observers. Like if they had something that was cheap for 10 bucks, we're going to be thinking straight away, oh, like if they're like, hey, dad, I want to buy this, it's $10 USD. Oh, well, that's a pretty similar to a Fortnite skin. No worries. You can buy that. And then over time they show us, oh, look, I've bought this one and then I sold it, doubled my money. I bought this one and doubled my money. Like we're observing that over six months. Oh, dad, look at this one. This one's a thousand dollars. But obviously I can't buy that. Well, I've seen what you've earned, mate. Let's give it a go. I'm going to give you a thousand dollars. But at the end of the day, like I said, it all goes back to like the user experience and for it to be seamless because if you want to get kids, but it's got to be as least technical as possible. Do you think that that blockchain gaming ends up on like a console thing, or do you think they'll stay in mobile and desktop gaming? I'm not too sure. Like, I was a bit upset when they coming out with the um, like the mo- the mobile gaming because mm-hmm. like I don't think the excuse of um, 
you know, people that play computer games on PC aren't interested in NFTs. Because if you look at all the people that are actually into crypto, I don't know many that are doing all their trades on a phone. And right. if you look at people that play games on PC, like majority on PC, like the old games like StarCraft II, World of Warcraft, and like even Fortnite back in the early days before they ported it, like mm-hmm. you, you're talking about it, 200 active, like 200 million active users per day in some of these games. So that's insane. <laughs> Yeah, to just go, oh, well, mobile's the future and, you know, we can't get people from the PC side. Like, I just think that's a poor excuse. The uh, the last thing I wanted to hit on is something that hopefully won't take us down too many rabbit holes. With the with the mobile gaming, typically, and we see this a lot over here, I don't, I don't know about where you are, but the attention span of people, especially kids with mobile it's like 15 seconds tops right we've we've degraded society to like have an attention span of a hungry squirrel Mm -hmm. um looking for his nuts and (laughs) how does that how does that translate to gaming right people you have these these long grinds which is typical in like the traditional gaming, right? Where you grind and grind and grind to get your, your rewards. Does, do you think that that has to change to fit the attention spans of people now that, especially if they're moving to mobile? Yeah, I think that's just the way that it's gone, man. Like these companies have like massive teams of psychologists, like working out how to hit the dopamine as quickly as possible. So, right. It's like, you know, like spider tanks are sort of cool in that regard because the game only goes for three minutes. Right. So anything longer, you know, you're like bored at this point. And then, you know, like the different modes, like picking up chickens or whatever, like you've also getting attacked and you've got to avoid it. So you're constantly doing something. And I think that's, you know, like that's a, a probably a good mechanic to be able to put in game. But that's the thing, man, like we don't really know. Like look at like my my son is classed as Generation Alpha, and I, I'd almost bet that his attention spans less than fifteen seconds. I think that might need to be updated. <laughs> yeah, I I mean it is. It's crazy. That's what what made like things like TikTok take off, and why YouTube then you know jumped into the shorts game and Instagram jumped into the shorts game, and that I think is going to directly go into these these games and and how these games are developed and they'll have to be marketed differently like me i don't watch tv i don't watch any of the news i get my stuff from trusted sources and i mainly use Noster and twitter um for a lot of that and those are quick hitters too because you can consume a lot of information very quickly i tend to have a little bit longer attention span but Games like Townstar and Mirandus and even um, some of these other ones that they have in their queue are long grinds. You know, TW, uh, The Walking Dead. I always screw up the letters on that. The Walking Dead. Whereas you have other ones like Superior, which people seem to love. And EVIO has their their shooter, which is a, a quick and dirty, you know, you go and just kill everything you see moving. Um I wonder if if they do think about that, and maybe that's that's why there isn't as much adoption. Maybe there's not enough action for people. Well, 
what I've noticed as well, and I don't know if it's accurate or not, it's just something that I've observed, but like <clears throat> we seem to be going into the shorter and shorter like content creation because that's what people are willing to absorb. And it's like if you look at the traditional markets and inflation and all the rest of it, as things get harder, well, you've obviously got less time to watch content. So these micro like transactions of content that you're consuming is actually better suited because you might have to work an extra four hours or two hours a day at work and you don't have the time to be able to consume a three hour podcast. So I've, you know what? I have noticed that about myself. I used to be a, uh, a big fan of what Bitcoin did with Peter McCormick. And not only did he get off path, which annoyed me slightly, but his shows just got ridiculously long. It was like a two-hour show. And I would listen at work, and then I'd have to continue it in the car and then continue it the next day. And it just got to be too much because um, you'd lose your train of thought. You'd be, like, really involved in something. So, yeah, the content creation, we, we still do an hour here. Um, we would love to get that down to, like, 30 minutes. Um, but we're just bags of wind over here. Here, so we well, can on for like an hour. I think the main focus, like for being a YouTube creator now, is like having a conversation like ours, like essentially getting rid of all the stuff, making your little clips, and then uploading them for for shorts. Because like if you yeah. look at a if you look at a short for viewership in comparison to a whole podcast, it almost makes you feel like you wasted, you know, fifty five minutes of your time because that five minute video has or that one minute video has outperformed your whole podcast. <laughs> it, no. So listen, so that's a hundred percent true. And uh I do my wife's podcasts on Saturday. And we do the I'm trying to get them down to like thirty minutes. The the viewership went up. The shorter we made it, the viewership went up. But they got like uh you know like seventy or so views on the full podcast. I clipped out some shorts and I put them up there and the first one got 277 views and the second one got 199 views. And I was like, that's crazy. But it, it, it's right in that wheelhouse of what we've been talking about with the short attention spans. So I, I do think that these games should take that into consideration. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, a 12 month window is generally what you have for a game before it has to be dramatically changed to keep people's attention. How would do you think these longer grind games have come to an end? No, I traditional don't. or is, blockchain. This is the thing. Like, it's not all game genres. Like, it's mostly like FPS. They pretty much have a twelve month turnaround. You've got games like Battle Royales. Like, you got Apex. You've got Fortnite. This they've been going for years now. You've got World of Warcraft, that's been going for what, probably almost 15, 20 years. So, like, there's certain game types that last long. And I see them, fo like, I see some communities or companies that are focusing on game types that generally don't last. So, they might be good for your pump and dump scenario where you're just in and out as quickly as possible before everything collapses. But, you know, <laughs> like, for me, my purchases, and it's not financial advice. But I'm looking at, like, I invested pretty heavily into spider tanks. I have, like, 20 full tanks. I've got um, Yikes. around 80 NFTs for Mirandas. And with Townstar, I think I've got around 100 and something. So, like, I was looking more at the games that I believe were going to have longevity in comparison to these okay. high turnover games like FPSs and whatnot. 
But if like if they hit the nail on the head with Mirandas, like I said, there's nothing that's been as good as World of Warcraft, and that game still has a lot of user base. If they can get some of that user base and make the next best MMO, well, that could literally be a gravy train for the next 10 to 20 years. Excellent observation. I, that's great <laughs> advice. So we're we're coming up on an hour here. We just hit an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, your podcast, Doing Well. I loved uh, Evan Wave on the last one. Uh, what do you got coming up with your podcast? Well, actually, I've been trying to do a podcast with uh, CryptoView, but nearly every time we book in for something, um, he rather goes away to a conference or something like that. I think the last <laughs> one was the XRP one in Las Vegas, I think. I'm not too sure, though. I might be wrong there. But, um, yeah, like I'm just trying to put out content, but as everyone else that's in this space, when times get hard, we've got to work harder. And um, right. it's, it's hard to be have that consistency. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for co-hosting tonight. It was good talking to you again, catching up with you. We'll be catching up soon for some of the other content that we're creating on, on other platforms as well. Um, Glitch, you, you are an amazing human being. You really are. Um, no matter what the content, what the type of talk, you're a straight talker, you're a straight shooter, you don't bullshit people. And in this space, that is like gold, man. So thanks for tonight. Thanks for being a friend. And we will ah. catch you very, very soon, I'm sure. Yeah, thank you. It's been good being a guest. <laughs> awesome. You all, we will see you next Thursday night for the next episode of Faz Radio. Thank you much, guys.